Welcome to Tent Talk, the podcast with Nancy McCrady, where we talk about life under the big tent of God's presence and the provoking process of discipleship. Here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tent Talk. This is Nancy McCrady. So glad to continue the summer readings series. And this week, in these next few episodes, as you're listening in real time, will be from A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. Take time with these. When, when you hear not only in the introduction and the preface, and you hear a little bit about his life, you know, in my uh, Producers Way School USA that's going on uh, right now, uh, their July assignment is to take hold of a biography of someone, whether it be Watchman Nee, A.W. Tozer, Elizabeth Elliot, if it's, um, you know, whoever it might be, but someone. I, I know one of the students is reading about Hudson Taylor, reading people who went before us and reading about their life. And it's just so encouraging because you realize this is not some new fad, right? This isn't uh, something so radical, right? This, is, this has been the norm of the lives of those that many times we stand in awe of them, but we never go any deeper to see what, what is it that actually happened in their life. And so in sharing Uh, I believe it's chapters one and two over the course of these next episodes from Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God, you get a a deeper dive into um, what their life was like and what did God speak to them. And then they left those things for us to be able to read so that we can navigate with Holy Spirit through the days of our lives that we are in right now. So let these next episodes be of great encouragement to you as I read from A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God. Love you all. Now we continue on in chapter 3, removing the veil out of A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. This flame of the presence was the beating heart of the Levitical order. Without it, all the appointments of the tabernacle were characters of some unknown language, having no meaning for Israel or for us. The greatest fact of the tabernacle was that Jehovah was there. A presence was waiting within the veil. Similarly, the presence of God is the central fact of Christianity. At the heart of the Christian message is God himself, waiting for his redeemed children to push into conscious awareness of his presence. That type of Christianity, which happens now to be the vogue, knows this presence only in theory. It fails to stress the Christian's privilege of present realization. According to its teachings, we are in the presence of God positionally, and nothing is said about the need to experience that presence actually. The fiery urge that drove men like Macshan is wholly missing, and the present generation of Christians measures itself by this imperfect rule. Ignoble contentment takes the place of burning zeal, 
We are satisfied to rest in our judicial possessions, and for the most part, we bother ourselves very little about the absence of personal experience. Who is this within the veil who dwells in fiery manifestations? It is none other than God himself, one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. It is one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. And it is the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. Yet this Holy Trinity is one God, for we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one the glory equal and the majesty co-eternal. So in part run the ancient creeds, and so the inspired word declares. Behind the veil is God, that God after whom the world with strange inconsistency has felt, if haply they might find him. He has discovered himself to some extent in nature, but more perfectly in the incarnation. Now he waits to show himself in ravishing fullness to the humble of soul and the pure in heart. The world is perishing for lack of the knowledge of God, and the church is famishing for want of his presence. The instant cure of most of our religious ills would be to enter the presence in spiritual experience, to become suddenly aware that we are in God and that God is in us. This would lift us out of our pitiful narrowness and cause our hearts to be enlarged. This would burn away the impurities from our lives as the bugs and fungi were burned away by the fire that dwelt in the bush. What a broad world to roam in. What a sea to swim in is this God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is eternal. He annotates time and is wholly independent of it. Time began in him and will end in him. To it he pays no tribute, and from it he suffers no change. He is immutable. He has never changed and can never change in any smallest measure. To change, he would need to go from better to worse or from worse to better. He cannot do either, for being perfect, he cannot become more perfect. And if he were to become less perfect, he would be less than God. He is omniscient. He knows in one free and effortless act all matter, all spirit, all relationships, all events. He has no past and he has no future. He is, and none of the limiting and qualifying terms used of creatures can apply to him. Love and mercy and righteousness are his, and holiness so ineffable that no comparisons or figures will avail to express it. Only fire can give even a remote conception of it. Oh, now listen up here, friends. Listen up to this. In fire he appeared at the burning bush. In the pillar of fire he dwelt through all the long wilderness journey. 
The fire that glowed between the wings of the cherubim in the holy place was called the Shekinah, the presence, through the years of Israel's glory. And when the old had given place to the new, he came at Pentecost as a fiery flame and rested upon each disciple. Spinoza wrote of the intellectual love of God, and he had a measure of truth there. But the highest love of God is not intellectual, it is spiritual. God is spirit, and only the spirit of man can know him really. In the deep spirit of a man, the fire must glow, or his love is not the true love of God. The great of the kingdom have been those who loved God more than others did. We all know who they have been, and gladly pay tribute to the depth and sincerity of their devotion. We have but to pause for a moment, and their names come trooping past us, smelling of myrrh and alloys and cassia out of the ivory palaces. Frederick Faber was one whose soul panted after God as the roe pants after the water brook, and the measure in which God revealed himself to his seeking heart set the good man's whole life afire with a burning adoration, rivaling that of the seraphim before the throne. His love for God extended to the three persons of the Godhead equally, yet he seemed to feel for each one a special kind of love reserved for him alone. Of God the Father, he sings, quote, only to sit and think of God, oh, what a joy it is. To think the thought, to breathe the name, earth has no higher bliss. Father of Jesus, love's reward, what rapture it will be. Prostrate before thy throne to lie, and gaze and gaze on thee. His love for the person of Christ was so intense that it threatened to consume him. It burned within him as a sweet and holy madness and flowed from his lips like molten gold. In one of his sermons, he says, quote, Wherever we turn in the church of God, there is Jesus. He is the beginning, middle, and end of everything to us. There is nothing good, nothing holy, nothing beautiful, nothing joyous, which he is not to his servants. No one need be poor, because if he chooses, he can have Jesus for his own property and possession. No one need be downcast, for Jesus is the joy of heaven, and it is his joy to enter into sorrowful hearts. We can exaggerate about many things, but we can never exaggerate our obligation to Jesus or the compassionate abundance of the love of Jesus to us. All our lives long we might talk of Jesus, and yet we should never come to an end of the sweet things that might be said of him. Eternity will not be long enough to learn all he is or to praise him for all he has done. But then, that matters not, for we shall always be with him, and we desire nothing more. And addressing our Lord directly, he says to him, I love thee so, I know not how, my transports to control. Thy love is like a burning fire within my very soul. Faber's blazing love extended also to the Holy Spirit, not only in his theology did he acknowledge his deity and full equality with the Father and the Son, but he celebrated it constantly in his songs and in his prayers. He literally pressed his forehead to the ground in his eager, fervid worship of the third person of the Godhead. In one of his great hymns to the Holy Spirit, he sums up his burning devotion thus, O Spirit, beautiful and dread, my heart is fit to break with love of all thy tenderness for us poor sinners' sake. I have risked the tedium of quotation, 
that I might show by pointed example what I have set out to say, viz., that God is so vastly wonderful, so utterly and completely delightful, that he can, without anything other than himself, meet and overflow the deepest demands of our total nature, mysterious and deep as that nature is. Such worship as Faber knew, and he is but one of a great company which no man can number, can never come from a mere doctrinal knowledge of God. Hearts that are fit to break with love for the Godhead are those who have been in the presence and have looked with opened eye upon the majesty of deity. Men of the breaking hearts had a quality about them not known to nor understood by common men. They habitually spoke with spiritual authority. They had been in the presence of God, and they reported what they saw there. Closing out today's episode, I would say, Oh God, for living witnesses such as these today in this hour, now, As we live in the ordinary drudgery of every day, my friends, in the mundane, in the boring, that which could cause us to be uh, catapulted into restlessness and to go wandering for other things. Oh, God, no. My friends, we must live knowing that we are in his presence always, for we are one with him, but never be satisfied only to know it. But we must come into experiential living with him. Not by soul, but by spirit. It will affect the soul, but it will not emanate and find its source in the soul. My friends, we worship him in spirit. In spirit and in truth. We know him in spirit. And our soul will prosper because of it. Our soul will be restored because of it, but it must be in spirit. So may there be living witnesses of him. This is my prayer for us today. Love you all. For more information on Nancy, please visit nancymccrady.com or follow her on social media at nbmccrady.com.